morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. We love learning about the Almighty God, who is our planner, our provider, and our protector, a fully present help in our lives. Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24 say this, The steps of a righteous one, and that's a reference to a believer in Christ, are established by the Lord. What does that mean exactly? It means there is protection and provision for us from God, and a plan as well. And the Lord delights in the righteous one's way. How do you get righteousness? At the moment of salvation, the Lord imputes his own righteousness to you. He credits it to your account. So unbeknownst to you, because you're probably not around a black light a lot, you have a plus R stenciled to your forehead. And that is your admission ticket to heaven if you're a believer in Christ. Because you need to be righteous to get to heaven, and you know you aren't unless you're a believer in Christ. And you aren't righteous on your own, you're made righteous. Psalm 37, 24. When the righteous one falls, and we do, He will not be hurled headlong. Imagine that. Imagine falling off a cliff headlong. That's not going to end up in a good spot. Because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. That's one of the great things about being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is that you are held in the righteous right hand of the Almighty God, the sovereign God of the universe. So why are you so afraid? Why are you so scared to be who you were designed to be. Why are you scared to get out there? Why do you want to live in your comfort zone? Hmm. Yeah, I tell you why. Because God has an enemy, and you're listening to him a lot more than you're listening to God. Because he's the one who instills the fear in us. Well, there are people in this world who are wicked. And they lie in wait to destroy the righteous ones. But the Lord preserves us in Satan's kingdom. And planet Earth is Satan's kingdom. That's where we live. And it isn't a stretch for you if you didn't know that, if you didn't know it biblically. It isn't a stretch for you to imagine that we live in Satan's kingdom. Everything here is negative. Everything here is against you. And you know that already. Well, at Barah Ministries, we know this truth. We know that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he's 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He's also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one because he is 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and nothing happens in the universe without his permission. And he is the Jewish Messiah. And at Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. If you listen to man's perspective, it's all about sin. I was talking to a friend the other day who believes that you can lose your salvation. If you're a believer in Christ, you can't lose your salvation. Now, how goofy is that thought process? But those are the things we adopt when we listen to false teachers. Okay, so you can do nothing to save yourself, so God saves you. Then all of a sudden when you're saved, now you can do something to unsave yourself. Does that make any sense to you whatsoever? 
It does not. And the Bible says exactly the opposite. The Bible says in John 10, 28, I give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, can you imagine somebody trying to go snatch you out of God's hand? What do you think God's going to do? Oh, oh, yeah, here, go ahead. You think he's going to do that? That's not what he does. So if you have some goofy thought in your head about who God is, just get behind his eyeballs. Look at things from his perspective. See what his word has to say and stop listening to goofy human beings who want to lie to you. Okay, you can lose your salvation, but if you give us a dollar ninety-five cents, if you just go to that link on the website, you can be saved again. And then we'll do it all over again next week. Amen? See, does that make any sense to you? But why do you believe it? Because lies are easier to believe. You don't believe me? Go out and tell somebody the truth today. (laughs) See if they believe it. But go tell them a lie, they'll believe it. So we make a difference here by teaching the word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. And as those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. But God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. About 90% of the 7 billion people on this planet do not believe that Satan exists. They believe he is a concept instead of a person, a creature. He is not a concept. And he is the ruler of this world. He is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you and me. And he doesn't want you to get to know God, and he interferes with your chance to get to know God. And Satan's strategy against the human race is religion, which is designed to make you either indifferent or antagonistic to God. Every religion has a set of doctrines. Get the doctrines and compare them to what the Bible says, and you will always see the left turn. You'll look at the similarities, but you will not look at the differences. And until you look at the differences, you won't see the lie, because every lie is 90% true. What is a con man? A con man is someone who gains your confidence with a lie, and the lie is hidden in the truth. He, he gains your confidence with the truth, and the lie is hidden within the truth. That's a con artist. So, inspect. That's the point. Religion deceives many into thinking they're saved when they might not be. And it definitely works. The Word of God is the truth, and it informs us about Satan's insidious deception. And as believers in Christ, we're in union with Christ. At the moment of your salvation, you are placed into union with Christ, and you cannot get out. And if you, one of my buddies said this way, well, what if you turn your back on God? Okay, you turned your back on God. What does he do? He still got you in his righteous right hand. Turn your back on him. You're not going to get away. Amen? You can't get away. So, as believers in Christ, we're in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson, the body of Christ is lifeless without you.
The body of Christ is lifeless without you. Welcome to the time when I get to teach about my least favorite biblical subject, spiritual gifts. It's my least favorite subject because of the perplexed, almost apoplectic look that you get on your faces as you contemplate what your spiritual gift might be. For spiritual giants, though, like me, (laughs) the gift is obvious. I have been given the gift of pastor-teacher, which is one of the most important gifts in the church age. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13 say this, And the Lord gave some as apostles, He gave some as prophets, and He gave some as evangelists, and He gave some as pastors and teachers. That's me. Why did he do that? Now, the apostles, there aren't any more. Although there are a lot of religions who still talk about apostles. Prophets, there aren't any more. That's done. There are a lot of people in religions who say that they are prophets. No, you are not. You may profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, but you ain't no P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Did you like... <laughs> Could we have one of those... Come on, Vita wants wants a a little drum roll. She wants a rim shot? Let's have a rim shot. Come on now. Thank you. All right. (laughs) Ephesians 4.12. It's true. So what are the evangelists and the pastor teachers for? An evangelist is someone who calls people to come to Christ. And the pastor teacher is someone who's there when they come come around. The pastor teacher stays around, the evangelist flits off to the next thing. What are those gifts for? For the purpose, Ephesians 4.12, for the purpose of equipping the saints. Who are the saints? You, if you're a believer in Christ. How many believers in Christ are walking around thinking they are, they are sinners? You are not a sinner if you're a believer in Christ. You formerly were a sinner when you were an unbeliever. As a believer in Christ, you are a saint. Every one of Paul's letters, he starts talking to the saints. He doesn't start talking to the sinners who are at Rome. Amen? Amen. All right, so pastors, teachers, evangelists, equip the saints all believers in Christ, for the work of ministry, to keep on building up the body of Christ. And the body body of Christ is an analogy. Each of us are part of the body of Christ. And each of us have a function in the body. And the analogy is, some of you guys are baby toes, right? And you don't really understand how important your baby toe is until you stub it, amen? Amen. I've been staying in hotels lately with this big boxy furniture, and I've been banging my feet up like it's going out of style. I hate my life when I'm hitting all these big things and hurting my toes. And then you find out that your toes are really important. Some of you are shoulders. Some of you are necks. You remember that movie, The Big Fat Greek Wedding, where the daughter wanted to go to college and the dad didn't want her to go? And the mom said... What was the girl's name? Do you remember? Tula. Yeah, Tula. Tula, don't worry. You have to listen to your dad. He's the head of the house. But the mother is the neck. (laughs) And the mother can make the neck turn any way she wants to. I love that. That was so funny. So each of us has a function. 
in the body of Christ, and these pastors and teachers and evangelists keep on building up the body of Christ. For what? Ephesians 4.13, until we all reflect the unity of faith. At the moment of salvation, we were all placed into unity with Christ. We don't have to make that happen. It's done. It's finished forever. All of us as believers in Christ are one in unity, in union with Christ and in unity with each other. And until we all reflect the knowledge of the Son of God, that's why we come here. We come here to study the Word of God so we can reflect the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, moving from immature to mature, reflecting the stature which belongs to those who reflect the fullness of Christ. What is stature? All you have to do is go into this passage and go back to the first verse of the passage. What does it say? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Have a lifestyle that is in the manner of the calling to which we, you have been called, to a stature, to a standard of amazingness. That's what God wants for you. Now, the Lord doesn't just give spiritual gifts, however. He gives gifted people. See, I don't just have the gift of pastor-teacher. I am a gifted person, amen? I, wait a minute. I don't believe you. I don't believe y'all heard that. It's like I am a gifted person, amen. You're you're the most unenthusiastic bunch of people I have ever taught in my entire life. Now, how did I get gifted? God gave gave me the gift. But oh boy, he did the same thing to you. You're a gifted person if you're a believer in Christ. So, and why does he do that? So we can help each other grow spiritually. I need you and you need me. This was not the habit, though, of the elitists in first century Corinth, believers who lorded their gifts over those who were perceived to have lesser gifts. Perhaps like the gift of the song ministry. I mean, the, the song ministry, June's ministry, is not as important as pastor-teacher. You know what I mean? You don't? Oh. Okay. Well, today we're going to find out how unimportant the song ministry is. <laughs> no, but that's what was going on in the first century Corinthian church. You know, I'm the pastor. You, what, do you, what do you do? Songs? That's how the elitists are. And we'll be glad to know that nothing has changed, that it was that way in the first century and it's that way today. There's something wrong with you and you are too something and everybody's always willing to tell you so that they can put you down so they can feel good about themselves. Well, in today's lesson, the Apostle Paul introduces us to the subject matter in the next three chapters of 1 Corinthians. The next subject on Chloe's list Another problem plaguing the Corinthian church. All right, so let's hear some music. This year has felt like four seasons of winter. What a great line from a great song. The bad news is that we are residents in Satan's kingdom. And as much as we'd like to think the end of this year will be the end of the misery, as believers in Christ who study the word of God, we know that just isn't the truth. It's going to get a lot worse and probably not better. But we have a God 
who protects us, according to John chapter 14, verse 21, which says this, the person who has my mandates, and what are the mandates? The word of God. Most Bible uh, translations translate that as commandments, and it always takes everybody mentally back to the Ten Commandments. That's not what the Greek word says. The person who has my mandates, which are the things that God talks about in the imperative mood, these are commands, and keeps them, is the one who loves me unconditionally. And he who loves me unconditionally will be loved unconditionally by my Father. And I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will love him unconditionally and will disclose myself to him. Who are these people that love God unconditionally? Believers in Christ. All of you. You loved him unconditionally and expressed that when you decided to be on his team. And now you're wearing the white uniform. Amen? Isn't that amazing? And so this isn't something you have to work at. It's something that you were gifted with. Well, what's the reason God puts us believers in Christ in Satan's kingdom? According to the group Unspoken, God's love is the reason. Let's hear about it. Seasons of winter And you'd give anything To feel the sun Always reaching Always climbing Always second guessing the timing But God has a plan A purpose in this You are his child And don't you forget He put that hunger in your heart He put that fire in your soul
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for placing your supernatural spiritual gifts in ordinary people so we can make a difference here in Satan's kingdom. Make it obvious to us as we study the next passage of 1 Corinthians what the gift is that you have given to each of us and how you intended for us to use it for your greater glory. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Louder. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, the body of Christ is lifeless without you. The body of Christ is lifeless without you. So we continue our study of Paul's first letter to the believers at first century Corinth. They are a divided group of new believers who have every malady that is still present in humanity to this day. Intellectual snobbery. Some people thought that they were smarter than others. Elitism. Some people thought that they were better than others because of wealth or status. Idolatry. Some people worship things instead of worshiping God. Some liked fighting instead of enjoying the peace of God which surpasses our own ability to comprehend. Some put their confidence in people and in self instead of putting their confidence in God. Some thought it was their job to judge others instead of judging themselves. Some were immoral, having sex with their father's wife. Some called people in the church their brothers, yet they mistreated those that they were brothers of during the unity celebration of the Lord's Supper. Yes, the first century church at Corinth is a mirror of a society filled with people who haven't changed a bit in the last 2,020 years. Amen? Yeah, we're going to say Black Lives Matter this year. You mean they haven't always mattered? Well, wait a minute. Don't all lives matter? Well, it's just, it's just special now because we're saying it? All lives have always mattered to the Lord. That's why he says, whosoever believes in him shall never perish. You see the stupid, the idiocy that we do? You know, and I've told you this already. So I, I was born colored, then I became a Negro, then I became a minority, then I became an African-American designed to take away the one thing that I have, which is being an American. I'm a minority, I'm a person of color, I'm everything but a person. But now black lives matter. Well, why are we still saying all that stuff? Why are women still walking around thinking there's a glass ceiling in business? Why are the Mexicans still fighting for the bottom rung? <laughs> Why? Because that's the world we live in. Because there are these constant messages that are telling us we're not good enough. Now there's some truth to the message. We aren't good enough. You aren't good enough to save yourself. But God thinks we're pretty cool. You should. You got two parts of yourself fighting for the bottom rung. The Mexican part and the black part. Amen? It's <laughs> my son. So look, I mean, when do we just get it? 
that all of that stuff is just nonsense. But that's what the Corinthians were doing. This is, this is all the nonsense. This is a group that Paul describes this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. He said, you Corinthian believers are not lacking in any spiritual gift. And you are awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ at the exit resurrection of the church, the rapture. They had everything they needed. They were believers. They're going to heaven. But they were the worst church on Paul's watch. How do you know? Because generally speaking, if you have to write two letters to somebody in 29 chapters, they're a bunch of knuckleheads. That's how. Because he only wrote four chapters to the Philippians. That was an amazing church. He only wrote five chapters to the Ephesians. That was an amazing church. These guys were knuckleheads, and mainly because they were babies. And so that's what we've been looking at as we study this chapter. Now, if you haven't done it, I'd recommend that you reread the first 11 chapters we've studied in 1 Corinthians to remind yourself of all the ground we've covered in the 75 or 80 hours that we've studied that this year. And you go over the things that we've learned because it's been amazing. And worse, to see clearly the maladies that still plague us today here in Satan's kingdom. Satan's kingdom does not get better. It keeps getting worse because he is a tyrant and he cannot run his kingdom. He said, I'll make myself like the Most High. No, you won't. No, you won't. No, you are a creature. He is the creator. You can never be like him. Oh, I'm just striving to be Christ-like. Stop wasting your time. You couldn't in a million years be Christ-like. Amen? He's the creator. You think you're going to be like that? You can't walk across the street and chew gum at the same time. So we don't waste our time with that. What we do is we sit in the back of the divine limousine that he gives to us at the moment of salvation, and we let him drive. And we simply tell him what we need, because that's what he's interested in. He's interested in what you need. And how, how much are you telling him what you need? You're not telling him what you need. You're trying to figure out your own deal. Let me see. How am I going <laughs> to? That's hilarious to me. How am I going to? No, how is he gonna? He's up in heaven going, sure wish she let me do it. She's driving the limo again. She's gonna crash it. Sure wish she let me do it. <laughs> Amen? How come y'all want to drive? Stop driving. Not you. You drive again. <laughs> All right, so let's continue our study in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. So three chapters about spiritual gifts. And let's take a look at the 12th chapter. And so this is an overview lesson, and I want to connect what we're hearing in the beginning of this chapter to our elders meeting yesterday, because I think there are some great connections for that. All right, let's begin at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I, Paul, don't want you to be unaware. That's the whole job of Paul in teaching us his part of the New Testament, is to keep us from being ignorant. 
And you remember from earlier chapters, whenever he says now concerning, he's referring to something that Chloe's people wrote to him about in a letter when they were narking on everybody in the first Corinthians church. And so the latest thing is spiritual gifts. Or who's spiritual? Because spiritual gifts in the Greek is in the neuter. And so there's a big controversy among the people who are, uh, who are translating the Bible about whether this is a reference to spiritual gifts or spiritual people. I don't think you can separate the two, quite frankly, but for, we'll start with spiritual gifts. So now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, and every time you hear that word brethren, what does it mean? It means believers in Christ. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I, Paul, don't want you to be unaware. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, what's a pagan? A heathen. What's a heathen? An unbeliever. Somebody who does not have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Somebody who has rejected that relationship. Well, the Corinthians were pagans. They were idol worshipers. But now they're believers. You know that when you were pagans in the past, you were led astray to the mute idols. And it's not mute as in they couldn't talk, it's that they were dumb. That's what's referenced here. We'll get into that when we go into this verse by verse. However you were led there. Well, who, how were they led there? You're always led there by false teachers. That's how you get led to idols. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Therefore I, Paul, make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. The Greek word is anathema, which is the worst thing that you could say to a person, that they were something they were doing or, or their very identity was anathema. You're horrible. So nobody speaking by the Spirit of God would say Jesus is accursed. Instead, we would say Jesus is Lord. And Paul says here, and no one can say Jesus is Lord, that sign behind me, Jesus Christ is God. I could not say that, would not say that if I wasn't a believer in Christ. Because we say that by means of God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us say things like that. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but they all come from the same Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 5. And there are varieties of ministries, but they all come from the same Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 6. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of God the Holy Spirit for the common good. Your spiritual gift is a manifestation of God the Holy Spirit. Your spiritual gift makes visible... God the Holy Spirit to people. How many times have you said about your friends who are pagans, but they didn't know? But what if they didn't know? What about all the little children in the middle of Africa? What if they never heard about Jesus Christ? Impossible. God doesn't work that way. God makes himself known, manifest, even in nature. If you go to the Grand Canyon... And you don't come away from that thinking that there is a God. There's something wrong with you. Amen? That's the most amazing thing you've ever seen in your entire life. 
There is no way a human being could have ever imagined or crafted something so beautiful. 1 Corinthians 12.8 For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. That's one of the manifestations of, of the Spirit. That's me. Right? Wisdom just, just, just drips out of my pores. <laughs> Wisdom just drips out of my pores. Amen? <laughs> Can't even do it with a straight face. And to another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 9. To another is given faith by the same Spirit. To another is given the gift of healing by the one Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.10, and to another is given the effecting of miracles. Teaching you is such an effect. Amen. And to another, prophecy. And to another is given the distinguishing of spirits, discernment. And to another is given various kinds of tongues. And to the other, the interpretation of tongues. All the Pentecostals in here are getting so excited. They got their hands above their head. We're going to talk about tongues. Yep, we are. We're going to talk about it, and we're going to put it right where it belongs, in the trash can, because it is done. It was a first century gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Why do you have the gift, the spiritual gift that you have? Because God the Holy Spirit wanted you to have it, and he gave it to you. 1 Corinthians 12.12 For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. One. Unity. 1 Corinthians 12.13 For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. What does it mean to be baptized? It means to be placed into union with Christ. It does not mean to be dunked in water with a threat of drowning you. Amen? That does nothing for you. That does the same thing for you that taking a shower does. It gets you wet. That's all. It's the baptism of the Spirit. In the Christian way of life, there is one baptism. That's the baptism of the Spirit. When the Spirit places you into union with Christ, a union you cannot get out out of. And what does baptismo mean? It means to be identified with something. And when you're placed into union with Christ, you are identified with Christ from now until doomsday. It's amazing. So by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, there is no racial distinction. Whether slaves or free, there is no social distinction. And we are all made to drink of one spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 14. For the body is not one member. The body is many members. The body has hands, arms, legs, elbows, knees, toes, shoulders, knees and toes. Knees and toes. (laughs) It's got a head, too. Jesus Christ is the head. 1 Corinthians... (laughs) Thank you. 1 Corinthians 12, 15. If the foot says... Because I'm not a hand, I am not part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body, is it? 1 Corinthians 12, 16. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body, is it? No. 1 Corinthians 12, 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? 
1 Corinthians 12, 18, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Why are you here? Because you are needed. The body without you is lifeless. And so when you don't know your spiritual gift and when you aren't using your spiritual gift, you make the body lifeless. Amen? You didn't like that one, did you? That's why you, you like that even less than me talking about how great I am. Amen? 1 Corinthians twelve nineteen. If they were all one member, where would the body be? 1 Corinthians twelve twenty. But now there are many members, but one body. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty one. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. 1 Corinthians 12.22, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. You know, I have a philosophy about learning, and my philosophy about learning is I don't care who wants to teach me. I want to learn. I've learned more from five-year-olds than I've learned from a lot of adults. I learned how to get out of the sand in golf from a nine-year-old. This nine-year-old boy is standing in a bunker, and he's hitting one after another shot about two feet from the cup. One after another, just keeps hitting them and hitting them. So I go over to the little boy, and I said, what are you thinking when you hit that ball? He said, I'm thinking, get out. That's amazing. It's not what I'm thinking when I'm going in the sand. I'm thinking, why did God do this to me? yelling at my ball. Why did you do that? And he's thinking, get out. Brilliant. But you have to learn from a certain kind of person? I don't. That's what we're talking about here. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. There's a lot to learn from kids. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 23. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow, bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. And I was talking specifically to the first Corinthian believers thing of saying that there was this elite group and then there was everybody else, the Scottsdale syndrome. 1 Corinthians 12, 24. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. 1 Corinthians 12.25 So there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12.26 And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now, collectively, you are Christ's body, and individually, you are members of the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. 1 Corinthians 12, 29. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracle, are they? 1 Corinthians 12.30 All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? 
All do not interpret, do they? 1 Corinthians 12, 20, 31, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you a still more excellent way. Love, Paul. Boy, right. As a body, what that whole chapter says is we're mutually dependent. I'm counting on you, and you're counting on me. You don't ever have to worry about whether I'm going to be here or not. I'm going to be here. If I'm not here, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to make sure somebody's here or something's here in my place. I'm going to do my job. Are you doing yours? Are you doing your part? Are you working to discover your spiritual gift so that you can give it away as your part of the body of Christ? Well, when we come back from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll taste a bit of food for thought as we begin tackling the next three chapters of 1 Corinthians. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me Has always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line With all the other not quite With all the never get it right but it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody We're trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil Start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus
Nobody but Jesus Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, the body of Christ is lifeless without you. The body of Christ is lifeless without you. Well, the Lord created you to be generous, just as he is generous with you. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 says this, A generous person will be prosperous, and he who refreshes others will himself be, refer- be refreshed. So be generous. Let's welcome up one of the most refreshing people I know, Deacon Denny Goodall, with today's offering message. Oh, oh, oh. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barat Ministries. Barat Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. Barat Ministries is a place where real people can listen to, come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And it seems like this year's just been crazy for everybody. Whether you're you know, at the top, of the top of the end of the income levels or at the bottom, I think it's just been crazy. So it's just been divisive, you know, especially a, a political year where, oh, you're a Democrat, oh, you're a Republican. There's these, these sides that are forming, and we see it in the Corinthian church as we've been discovering. You've got the elites, whether it's the scholars, you know, they're in their ivory towers thinking up everything, and they think they're better than everybody, uh, the rich people, they got the young and the old fighting, and they're having, you know, the doomers and the, the boomers, and they call them the millennials, and just all this, there's so many ways to just look at each other differently, and we see it in the Corinthian church, and so it's interesting because my life, I was, I was actually born in Iowa, so naturally everybody assumes I'm a farmer, right? <laughs> so I got the University of Iowa, and everybody's like, where are you from? Oh, Davenport, Iowa, good towns, close to, close to here and there. They were from... Chicago at the time, that was the big city. Turns out, <laughs> turns out they were more like from Skokie or Naperville or something. But they'd say in Chicago because it was cooler. 
So anyway, I've, I had, you know, I get to Iowa and like, oh, are you a farmer? No, I was never a farmer. I was, you know, military brat, moved around a lot. But anyway, and then I moved to Arizona and I moved to Scottsdale, and they're like, oh, where are you from? Iowa. Oh, Iowa, really? Are you a farmer? It's like I just get this over and over again, this division. So I'm uh, sorry, I had to just let that out. You know, the farmers, the farmer. <laughs> there are people in my family, of course, you know, and the relatives, but I never even detasseled. You know, so if you don't know what that is, look it up. Learn a little about learn a little bit about farming. It's good for you. But so I was looking up, you know, where where do we see other you know division and rich people and stuff in the Bible, and we see it in James, um, James chapter five, verses verse seven is what I'll focus on. So the, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until the soil gets the early and late rains. So. Why am I bringing up farming? Because I think we can all learn from them. We don't have to learn from the elites. We don't have to learn from Dr. Fossey. Put a mask on, don't put a mask on. We don't have to learn from Oprah. We don't have to learn from Bill Gates. Do we think all of a sudden those people care about us? You know, Dr. Fossey said put the mask on or don't put a mask on. Then he says put a mask on. So he's just flip-flopping. What doesn't flip-flop? The Bible. Jesus. So it's one of those things we can learn from. We can learn from the farmers about being patient as well with ourselves with others with god we're praying you know we're we're demanding these things and they don't happen fast enough we can be patient you know we can also learn that there is there will be you can see in this verse until the soil gets to early and late rains the farmers knew they were going to get their sustenance they knew and they just had to be patient just like us we know we will be the lord will come through for us and so it's one of those things we don't have to worry all the time so we can be patient and i'd rather listen to a farmer than some rich guy telling me what to do because I know the farmer, you know, got his hands dirty and had his had it was vested in what he was doing, you know. And you can see that that farmers, what do farmers do? They cultivate something. They don't just do nothing. And what do they do with that? What they cultivate? They share. They sell those things. And imagine a farmer that didn't share those things. Imagine a farmer that cultivated all this and then kept his corn and kept his grain. You know, what good would that farmer be? And that's a lot like us as Christians. We need to, well, what are we cultivating? Are you cultivating a, a, a relationship with Christ? Or are you cultivating a relationship with the world? And one of those is really going to help you out. One of those kingdoms is better than the other and already has a victory. And so I think we just need to learn to be patient and remember that, you know, farmers are basically cultivating something for everybody else. And we had actually had at uh, University of Iowa, they have a sticker on their helmet. It says, ANF, America Needs Farmers. And it's really true, because what would America do without all the food we get? And so I like to change that to ANC, America Needs Christians, because that's something that the whole world needs, and that's something that this church is helping to support and get the message out. So every, every time you give at this offering, it's something that you need to be patient with and know that it is getting its work done, and God will help it come through. And so it's hard to, in this world, I think, where we're, we're split apart, we're, we're divided, you know, races, ages, you know, whatever political party, we just need to be patient with each other. Remember that at the end of the day, we are all one race, the human race. And that's all that Jesus sees. It's all he cares about is each of us. So thank you for remaining patient in this ministry, patient in our pastor. And just remember that the, the, we are cultivating something here, and it will be something huge. So thank you very much.
Today's Bible lesson, the body of Christ is lifeless without you. The body of Christ is lifeless without you. The essence of what that means is that God put you here to do something. And are you doing it? Now, a lot of Christians take that to the extreme. And the extreme of that is that God is so desperate for you that he can't get his things done without you. He can do fine without you. But he doesn't want to. And so, what is your niche? What is that thing that he put you here to do? There's no way that you make that up. There's no way you're going to find that out unless you know what's going on in the 66 books of the Bible, 27 of which you're responsible for. We are New Testament believers. Anything in the Old Testament, which was for the age of Israel, that applies to us is repeated in the New Testament. So you only got 27 books to get in your head so that you can have that thought process, the thought process that God has, because if two Christians disagree on something, one or both of them are wrong. God is not wrong. And since God is one, everything with him is one, all of us ought to see this the exact same way. But we don't, do we? Why? false teachers. But if a false teacher has a great personality, we're not going to challenge them. 
When I was a Roman Catholic for 21 years on the track to be a Jesuit priest, boy, I had Father so-and-so, oh, Father, Father Haggerty. Yeah, Father Haggerty's not the Bible, though. Father Haggerty was an alcoholic. I made him mad because I was an altar boy. And I did 7.30 altar boy and 12 o'clock altar boy and 9 o'clock commentator and 10.30 guitar. And I saw him get progressively drunk over the time. So at the 12 o'clock when I was an altar boy, I put all water in with a little coloring instead of the wine. He got quite upset with me. He said, why did you do that? I said, I thought you had had enough. That was the end of my altar boy days. So we're here with a spiritual gift as gifted people to do something for the body. So as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a gifted person. At the moment of your salvation, God gave you a spiritual gift. Yes, you. And... I wonder, do you know the one who made you gifted personally? Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? You could probably describe your best friend. Can you describe the Lord? Do you know about his attributes? Do you know about Junior Soul Live? J-R-S-O-O-O-L-I-V-E. Do you know about that? Do you know he's just? which means he's always fair and there never was a time when he wasn't fair. R, he's righteous, he's completely free from sin. S, sovereign, he's the sovereign God of the universe and nothing happens in the universe without his permission. O, omnipotent, he has all the power. O, omniscient, he knows all that's knowable. O, omnipresent, he's everywhere at the same time, so he's witnessing everything you do. L, he's unconditional in his love for us. See, there's the thing. Once you know that God is unconditional in his love for us, how could you think he would ever allow you to lose your salvation? Because to lose your salvation, you have to sin too much, according to the people who say you can lose your salvation. Okay, so let's say you do. Let's say you sin too much. And let's say you have a repetitive sin that you do over and over and over again. And we're going to say that because you do. So what is it? So God is conditional now? Jesus Christ didn't pay for every sin you'd ever commit, past, present, and future at the cross? If your sins can make you lose your salvation, what did Christ do at the cross? And Paul said, then you nullify the cross, you make it void. The cross wasn't void. But that's what happens to us. Do you know the one who made you the gifted person? I, immutable, he never changes. So when he makes your salvation, he doesn't change it. And you certainly can't change it because you didn't do it in the first place. Muhammad Ali. Believer in Christ, check out what he has to say after his first victory over Sonny Liston. If God is for us, who can be against us? He was a Christian, Cassius Clay, and then became Muhammad Ali. Jesus is not God. It's Allah. It's Muhammad. 
First person I'm going to look for in heaven is Muhammad Ali. He's there. He can turn his back on God. God did not turn his back on him. Amen? Oh, my goodness. can't believe that. Do you know what makes you gifted? Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Well, you probably don't know. Why? Because your problem is that the gift is discovered by giving it. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to repeat that. The gift is discovered by giving it. The truth is, most of us are sitting around waiting for the pigeon of gifting to take a dump on our heads so that we have some deep, miraculous revelation of our spiritual gift. People are always asking me, what was the exact moment when you knew you were a believer in Christ? Well, I was eight years old, and there was an ice cream truck, and I wanted some ice cream. And the guy in the truck, while he was giving me the free ice cream, was telling me that Jesus Christ is God. That was the exact moment. And I didn't care about anything he was saying. All I cared about was that ice cream cone. Amen? Yeah, it's a miracle. Some of us will go to the grave waiting for the pigeon of gifting to make it clear to us what our spiritual gift is. And in so doing, most of us will rob others in the body of Christ of the gift that we were put here to give each other. And that is the thing when I go through a graveyard that makes me the maddest. I wonder how many of those people who are under those headstones came here to give me something and left with the same thing that they came here to give me. Amen? Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. Ante up. And when we rob others of the gift that we came here to give, we really rob ourselves as well. Look around. It's not a coincidence that we are here together. We are here to give something to each other. And God the Holy Spirit is your guide. He has assembled this group of believers to accomplish a purpose. What is your part of the purpose? I can tell you what your part is not. Your part is not all taking and no giving. Amen? I don't believe you heard that, so I'm going to repeat it. Your part is not all taking and no giving. That's something that you would hate in another person. Somebody who takes but doesn't give. Don't let that be you. But the problem is, we believe the deceptions of Satan more than we believe the promises of God. The problem is we have beliefs. Your belief is valuable to the degree that it agrees with the truth. And if, if, that's, if your belief doesn't agree with the truth, then all it is is a belief. It's worthless. Satan wants you to have beliefs. I had a belief. I believed when I was a Roman Catholic that if you left the Catholic Church, you were going to hell. You know why I believe that? Because they told me to. I believed that I could lose my salvation. You know why? Because they told me I could. But then the Bible said something completely different. Okay, Jesus Christ says he's God. He either is or he isn't. Which one is it? And does my belief 
about which one is true matter? Or does what matters, what's true? You better check your beliefs. Because some of them are off. And you know you've done it in your lifetime. You know you've been off. You know you've thought one thing and then found out something else was true. What do you like when that happens? Did you get off it? I do. You know that. I got up here and told you. Systematic theology is a lie. Ran off half the congregation. After teaching it for 29 years. And all I had to do to prevent all that misery was read one verse. Romans 6, 19. Sin shall no longer have sovereignty over you. You are not under the law. You are under grace. You can't stop sinning and you can't keep the law. You're under grace. You reside in the sphere of unconditional love and forgiveness and grace. You are surrounded by the geodesic dome of unconditional love and forgiveness and grace. That's the truth. But you can't handle the truth. You want to believe those lies. Because that's too easy. It's too easy. So what are you saying? What are you saying? That you have a license to sin? That you can sin anytime you want to? And God's okay with it? No, he's not okay with it. You know why he's not okay with it? Because it hurts you. But he already paid for it. Make no mistake about it. So what shall we say then, Romans 6, 1? Shall we sin more so that grace may increase? Don't be ridiculous, Paul says. May it never be. Only the immature think that way. But it's so hard to believe that salvation is so easy. It's, it's just a conversation with God that could contain no more than nine words. So hard to believe. So easy. It wasn't easy to leave your perch as the sovereign God of the universe, take on the form of a human being, not sin for 33 years, and go to a cross and get slaughtered, and then be buried for three days, and then be resurrected from the dead. That wasn't easy. But that's what made your salvation possible. It's not a coincidence that we're together. The problem is we believe the deceptions of Satan more than we believe the promises of God because Satan is constantly telling us through the flesh residence in us that we're not good enough. And instead of agreeing with him, I agree, I'm not good enough. And then turning to God for the filling of our lack, we become introspective and we ask ourselves the killer question, what's wrong with me? Everything. And then we go deeper and deeper into the introspection, and the deeper we go into the inadequacy, the deeper we go, the more inadequacies we find until we are simply paralyzed by our own deficiencies. That's the prize for introspection. I have a friend who is miserable at work, he has been for years. 
he goes from one miserable job experience to another miserable job experience simply because he doesn't want to answer one simple question. What do you want from a job? What makes the question impossible for him to answer is that he isn't looking at his situation with the right perspective. He's thinking, what do I want a job to give me, instead of thinking, what do I want to give others through my job? You see the difference? Do you? Is anybody here? You're in introspection now, aren't you? His selfish attitude has turned into complacency and his misery increases by the moment and then you sell out for a paycheck. You sell out for the lie of security. (laughs) Security. I'll never forget the, what was it, second? Yeah, it was the second time I was fired. Never forget it. And I was walking back to my office. The guy had told me, leave right away and come back on Friday and get your stuff. And I left his office and I said, wait a minute, he told me to leave and come back Friday. I'm fired. I don't have to listen to him anymore. So I went to my office and I sat down and I opened my calendar and it was June and I started thumbing through the calendar and it was completely blank from July to December. And I mumbled something to myself. Want to know what it was? I said, I will never work for a company that I don't own again. I will never work for a company I don't own again. I will never tell my children that I got fired. And this was the year Zachary was born. So he wasn't born yet, so I didn't have to tell him. He's probably finding out for the first time, you, Dad, you got fired? Oh, my God. That's appalling, Dad. Yeah, second time, man. And I said something right after that. I said, if I make 10 grand a year for the rest of my life, which I think is impossible. I will never work for a company that I don't own again. There is no way. Because I'm not going to fire myself. The same malady plagues Barah Ministries people. Complacency in the spiritual gift department. The church is designed to be a series of ministries, thus that's why we call it Barah Ministries. Ministries that are powered by the spiritual gifts of each one of us. Each one of us having something to give to the other. Instead, we settle for a few ministries powered by the spiritual gifts of a few people. And there has been quite a bit of angst in the Barah Ministries leadership group lately. And it came to a head yesterday in the elders meeting. There was a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth in the elders meeting. Amen? My job is clear. I study and teach the Word of God. That's my job, and quite frankly, that's all I want to do. But it's also my job to bring out the best in you. It's also my job to lead the ministry. Unfortunately, I can't do that without your cooperation, just like God can't help you without your cooperation. He wants to know what you want. He gave you free will. He wants you to tell him, and he'll help you. If you don't tell him, he's going to wait. He's a gentleman. 
It's not going to force you. So, for example, the music ministry. There is an owner of the music ministry. Her name is June Murphy. You are participants in that ministry. And the truth is, we play about 125 songs a year. Are we playing the songs that you want to hear? Or is the music ministry serving you the way you want to be served? Or is the music ministry just a way for us to find out what mood June is in this week? Because last week, what do you think was going on with June? June was suffering. So what song did she sing? Where you suffer, suffer for my name. And somebody said, no more suffering. Amen? Amen? We don't care what mood June's in. We want to hear something upbeat. When you're sitting here, don't you sometimes just want to start showing that you have no rhythm? Don't you want to do that sometimes? Just put your hands together. Don't you want to sing? I sit up here when that song comes on. I'm just nobody at the very beginning. Uh, 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 everything. I want to sing. Do you, want to, do you guys ever want to sing? I know you suck at it. I do. But don't you... Doesn't the music ever move you? See, that's what music does. It moves you. But I know the music ministry isn't serving you, and I know why. It isn't serving you because you expect someone else to change the songs instead of changing them yourself. Maybe you want to sing. Maybe you know songs that move you. I don't know what moves you. And the truth be known, it's not my concern. I'm worried about the Word of God. I'm not worried about what music moves you. But if you got something that moves you, are you telling June? And if June doesn't play what you recommend, do you come and tattletale on her to me so I can hit her in the head and say, play the stuff that people want to hear? Because that's what the owner's job is. The job, owner's job is to play spiritual songs that move people and the things that move people are typically the things that they want to hear. But you guys don't go talk to June about it. You come and talk to me about it. Like, when you talk to me about it, you have now volleyballed something into my court. I'm not concerned about the music ministry that way. That's her ball game. That's her gift. This woman doesn't read music, and she's written 50 songs that are absolutely amazing. That's her game. That's not my game. Amen? Now, you want to know anything in the book here, up here? Talk to me. I know this book inside and out. Talk to me. I read and write Greek. The New Testament's written in Greek. I know if the English translation's off base because I read the Greek. Thank you, man. My concern is getting the word to move you. And many of you have said to me, I wish you would play this song. I wish you'd play that song. You're talking to the wrong person. You need to be talking to June, but you don't. You're waiting for the pigeon of songs to take a dump on June's head. And it probably has. <laughs> you were doing so well. I was? Yeah. Okay. All right, then I won't read this 
part. The pigeon hasn't arrived yet, and I'm not a pigeon. I pass along your comments to June, but June doesn't listen to me. If you don't know that by now, there's something wrong with you. It's up to you as participants in the song ministry to participate in the change, and frankly, you don't. And that's what we were talking about yesterday. There's an owner, and there are participants. All right, what about your ministry? What is it that you bring to give people in this ministry? What is it that you, by bringing it, put me in a position to whine about what you're not doing? See, because that's what I want. I want a whole bunch of ministries, and I can say, well, I, I didn't like that song you picked. Or, I didn't like how much you put in the offering last week. If your gift is a gift of giving, you didn't put enough in there. That's what I want to do. Just kidding about that. We have a ministry to the vets. But who owns it? Well, since COVID, we haven't visited the vets. We can't. But if we could, who owns it? The truth of the matter is, nobody owns it. So, what was once a thriving ministry is now dead. Those guys miss us. We can still be sending them messages. We can still find creative ways to serve them. We're passionate about them, but where is the love? Where are the spiritual gifts in play? Are you waiting for me as the leader of Barah Ministries to give you permission to use the spiritual gift that God gave you? If so, you have my permission, because I rarely say no when someone asks to do something within Barah Ministries. I simply find ways to help them express themselves. A great example of that is the Coeur d'Alene Conference. The first weekend of August, every year, we go to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and there is a group of believers in Christ in the Pacific Northwest who come to the Coeur d'Alene Conference at the Jacqueline Arts Center in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. That is owned by John and Monica Miller. All of us participate in making that a great uh, a, a, a great event, but they own it, and they run it, and I remember the first time they came and said, do it, and I said, where the hell is Coeur d'Alene, Idaho? I didn't even know there was a Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and now, every year, I can't wait to get up to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, spend a week there before we ever get to the lesson. Love it, and I haven't had to lift a finger to make that happen, because they are using their spiritual gift to make it happen. And every year, it grows and grows and grows. Nobody came, no pigeon flew over their head and said, oh, you will do the Coeur d'Alene Conference. That's not how it happened. They decided they wanted to do it. They didn't know whether it was going to work out or not. They did it, and now it's 10 years later. Amazing. That's how ministries work. How ministries work is I said, you know what? If I as a father can only do one thing for my two sons, what would that one thing be? It would be to get them to believe in Christ. So I'm going to evangelize to them. And then they believed in Christ. And I said, and if I could only do one more thing, what am I going to do? I'm going to teach them to love Jesus Christ through the study of his word. And so every Sunday at my dinner table, I was teaching them the word of God. And people started hearing about it. And they said, hey, can I bring my kids? Yeah, bring your kids. Now, if when they come home, they have a hickey knot on their head. Just know it was me. They're going to have to come here and sit here and learn. And I taught them the word of God, and then all of a sudden it became Barah Ministries. That's how it happened. 
and we bounced all over the place. One house, then another house, then the veterans hall with a pool table in it and drunks on the other side of the wall and hotels. We were everywhere. And then one day we're going to be in a $3 million facility because God's orchestrating it and we can see it. God has a plan for your life. Isn't it about time to find out what it is? Aren't you afraid to go to your grave without expressing yourself fully in this life? You can be the hero in this story. So get busy using your spiritual gift and see what the Lord can accomplish through you. All right, well, the closing moments of this study are a reminder that God wants you. And what he wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life. How would it be for you to know that there is someone who loves you so much that their love for you is almost unspeakable, yet you don't know who they are and you haven't met them? Actually, that is your situation because the creator of the universe created you and he loves you unconditionally and you may not have a relationship with him. John chapter 1 verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being, including you. You can have a relationship with your creator and he is looking for you. Luke Chapter 15, verses 4 to 7 say this, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine sheep in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? You weren't looking for God. He was looking for you. And for a shepherd to leave sheep in a pasture, they never do that. That's how important you are to God. Luke 15, 5. When he has found the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Luke 15, 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. That's the unbeliever. Luke 15, 7. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, which means to change your mind about having a relationship with Christ, a sinner, an unbeliever, who changes his mind about having a relationship with Christ, then over 99 righteous persons, believers in Christ, who need no repentance. By the way, how many times have you said believers, believers ought to repent? This says believers need no repentance. They don't. They don't have to change their mind about Christ because they already did. Well, I've got bad news for you if you're a sinner. You were born in a state of unrighteousness. All of us were. We were born physically alive and spiritually dead as ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers. It's not your fault, but it is your circumstance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, the Bible says, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human com who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. But in the face of this bad news, there's good news. The sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, provides a way for you to be saved. The good news is preached in what Christians call the gospel message. Let's see what happened when the gospel message was preached in a prison in first century Rome in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God from their jail cells. And the other prisoners were listening to them. 
Acts 16:26. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Acts 16:27. And when the jailer, a prison guard, awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Allowing prisoners to escape carried a penalty of instant execution for prison guards. Acts 16.28 But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying to the guard, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Acts 16.29 And the jailer called for the lights to be turned on, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Acts 16.30, and after the prison guard brought Paul and Silas out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16.31, Paul and Silas said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. The guard had obviously been listening to the spiritual songs of Paul and Silas and knew that they knew something that he did not. Now, there are no works of any kind necessary to be saved. It is simply faith expressed in the Lord Jesus Christ alone that is the ticket to eternal life. So how did the jailer friend get saved? In a crisis, he recognized he needed a Savior. He asked someone who knew what it took to be saved. Believers in Christ presented the accurate gospel message. The jailer did what was suggested. And so I encourage you not to wait for a crisis to be saved. Do it now. And who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says this, I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. It's worse news if you choose not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20 say this, For the wrath of God the Father is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and against the unrighteousness of unbelievers who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Romans 1.19, because that which is known about God the Father is evident inside of them. For God the Father made it evident to them from inside of them. Romans 1.20 says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, God's eternal power, and God's divine nature, His deity, have been clearly seen by all mankind, being understood even through what has been made, in nature, God's creative work, so that all mankind is without excuse before God. Acts 16.32 Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord, the gospel message, the good news, to the jailer, together with all the people who were in the house. Acts 16.33 And the jailer took Paul and Silas that very hour of the night, and washed their wounds, and immediately the jailer was baptized by God the Holy Spirit, he and his whole household, who also believed, they all did. And the jailer brought 
Paul and Silas into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, believing in the God, the Lord Jesus Christ, with his whole household. So, accept the invitation and heed the warning of John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, the resurrection life, the Zoe life, right at that moment. It is not a future event. But he who does not believe, he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son shall not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Wouldn't you like to spend all eternity in heaven? Don't miss your opportunity. Take advantage of the good news of the gospel message right now. Well, let's close with some music. You're next. (laughs) Just wanted to wake you up. God the Father's love for all mankind is a model for real love. How well you love unconditionally those who mistreat you will tell you everything about your character and about how well you love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 say this, By this demonstration, the unconditional love of God the Father was manifested in us believers in Christ, in that God the Father has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we believers in Christ might live the resurrection life through our union with Him. 1 Corinthians 4.10 In this initiative by God the Father, He initiated, we responded. He did it, we took advantage of it. In this initiative by God the Father is manifest unconditional love. It is made clearly visible that He loves us unconditionally. Not that we love God the Father unconditionally, but that He loved us unconditionally and demonstrated it by sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does propitiation mean? It means that in the eyes of God the Father, there is one and only one perfect and acceptable sacrifice for sin. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed at the cross. And that's it. And you can confess your sins, you can do backflips, forward flips, you can feel sorry for your sins, you can repent, and you can do anything else you want, but that does not pay for sin. Only the blood of Christ does. That's what propitiation means. Well, here's June Murphy to sing about our Lord's demonstrated love.
Sounding pretty good there, Phyllis. That was beautiful. A doxology of praise to our God. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Jesus and he will make your path straight. For the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice and blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he might promote you at the proper time, slamming all your cares on his back because he cares for you. And we know that he cares for you means God considers your problems to be his responsibility. It's a Greek idiom. And it means God considers your problems to be his responsibility. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for opening our hearts to the truth. We thank you for the cognitive dissonance that comes when the truth runs up against our beliefs. And we thank you for kicking over our Legos on a regular basis and taking us to a place of discomfort, for bringing us tribulation and adversity that makes us wake up and look at the world and to look at you and to seek you for the answers. And we just pray that you give us the courage to do what's necessary to move our relationship into line with you and your thoughts and your word and away from the world and its false teachers who are out to destroy our souls. And we ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.